Hey y'all, it's your favorite host, and I wanted to just pop in here to say, uh, if you're enjoying the show uh, and you'd like to give us some support, the best way to do that is through Patreon. Uh, I've launched the Patreon with a couple of tiers. There's a $3 tier, which gives you access to the Discord, and you come hang out with uh, me and the other friends inside of that, uh, and just kind of talk the show, talk a bunch of different nerd stuff. And then there is a, another tier, an $8 tier, uh, where you can get early access to episodes ad-free. Um, you will also get free access to all uh, micro-RPGs that I create in the future. Yeah, so again, uh, thank you so much for listening to the show. Um, if you'd like to give additional support, that's one way to do it. Another great way to do it is just, you know, go on to whatever platform you're listening to and rate the podcast, subscribe, uh, follow, leave a review if you can. Um, those things really help gain visibility for the show, and it is always greatly appreciated. Link is in the description. Thank you so much, and back to the episode. Welcome to the Secret Nerd Podcast, where we think everyone should play tabletop RPGs and give you some reasons why. Another fun episode. Um, ironically enough, my second international interview is being done now, the week that my first international interview um, premiered. So with me today, I have uh, the founder of the Bard Network on um, Twitter, as well as one of the cast members of Tales of Exandria, if you would like to introduce yourself. Hi, my name is Anne, aka Girl Wonder. Um, yeah, I'm a tabletop RPG player giant nerd kind of just like social media fangirl <laughs> type woman you know that's basically what i've built my social media on just hyping up the things that i love <laughs> yeah heck yeah well there's nothing wrong with that um so where i always like to get started is just kind of you know what got you into nerd stuff in general whether it was ttrpgs or anything else like what was your first kind of step into that i'm just I'm just thinking about this because I feel like I've always been a nerd from yeah. a very early age. I just didn't necessarily have the way to explain it in mm -hmm. so many words. I think when I was very young, I just didn't fit in with my brothers. My brothers were all very, um, well, my one brother was a dancer. Like my, my mom and him shared that in common. Mm -hmm. My other brothers, they're twins, so they had each other. They had video games. They had things like that. Yeah. They were kind of nerds, but not really. They kept to themselves. And I always had these really kind of interests that were weird to my mom, like uh, Sailor Moon or Power <laughs> Rangers, yeah. you know, things that I was really passionate about. I wrote a lot of fan fiction as a kid, too, which... <laughs> You know, it's like, it's a weird thing, yeah. you know, that wasn't considered cool within my family. So yeah. I always got teased about it. So mm. I just, but it wasn't until much later in life where I was like, yeah, I'm a nerd. I recognize this because yeah. I just kind of 
You just were. Viewed my nerddom as like, oh, I don't fit in with my family. It's a reason they're making fun of me, but, you know. Yeah. It's whatever. A fact of life. Yeah. But I, but I think that my first real, I guess, claim to nerddom was actually my first year of college. Okay. <laughs> I, I kind of fell into a lot of things as an 18-year-old that I wasn't exposed to mm-hmm. as a kid. Mainly TTRPGs yeah. and Magic the Gathering, nice, which is like the uber nerd hobbies. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah, for sure. Um, so, yeah, so when you, um, like in school and stuff, before you were 18, did you ever think about that in school at all? Or it was just kind of like your friends or your friends, you didn't really pay any, like, like you didn't even process in your head at all, I guess? My friendships in high school were not based on those nerdy interests. Mm-hmm. They were based on essentially survival. You okay. know how yeah. teenagers are yeah. with the cliques and everything. I just had my friends and I kept to myself and kept my head down. I was I was essentially on survival mode for all of high school. Okay. There was just a lot of stuff going on there socially and with my parents splitting up and yeah. everything. Um, I was also considered like, I guess, the smart one in my family. So I guess that kind of defaulted me as the kind of geeky nerd person in yeah. my family, but I didn't really think about it. Yeah. Did you grow up in Toronto? I actually moved to Montreal when oh, I okay. was four years old. Awesome. I lived in the suburbs right outside the big city for eight years. Mm-hmm. And then I moved to Toronto when I was 12. Okay. Did you pick up any French while you were there? Oh, yeah. yeah. I actually can speak French. I just, it's one of those things where I feel really awkward trying to speak French again. Yeah. But if I'm writing a letter to a friend or some kind of message or even on occasion i'll dip my toes into the french ttrpg community on twitter you know it's easier for me to communicate in written french these days but um i'm slowly dipping my toes into um french nerddom too um specifically in the past year year and a half yeah yeah i don't know how caught up you are on my podcast but this week's uh episode was a guest from montreal um, so yeah, it was pretty cool. Um, and I, I, I did speak or not speak. I, I learned French for like six years, so I was able to pick up some of it, but I just, like, I never used it. So where I live now, it's, um, it's a bilingual state, but it's Spanish and English. And so there's just no, nobody speaking French at all. So. Yeah, yeah no, it's difficult when you're not actively using yeah. the language from the age of, Five to 11, I went to school French full-time. Oh, wow. Uh, no English. Yeah. Um, it was really difficult. Um, my parents, when they had to do, like, parent-teacher interviews, mm-hmm. there would be, like, one um, teacher that could, could interface with them. Yeah. That wasn't necessarily my main teacher, so yeah. it was this really strange sort of situation growing up. And then when I moved to um, Toronto... I had um, what they would call like a French immersion program, which is 50-50 okay. English and French. So, yeah. And then I, um, I did AP, AP level um, French <laughs> in, my, in my French classes, which, you know, I ended up having AP exams and everything at the end of it all. So it, it really prepared me for getting into college yeah. and really 
help afterwards because yeah. I didn't I didn't end up getting into the bilingual programs I wanted to get into. Oh, okay. I mean, it's it's always there in the back of my mind if I really need to. I would just, you know, Duolingo and maybe have a refresher. Yeah. Yeah, I think it's one of those things, like like you said, you know, having that immersion obviously helps a ton. But, um, but yeah, I mean, I could see, though, you know, having moved uh, from a different country at the age of four and then, you know, trying to learn a language while you're learning school and everything else, that would be a kind of a difficult experience. And I imagine in those areas, like, is there any kind of Asian community at all? Um, well, from my formative years, like before I moved to Ontario, there wasn't really mm-hmm. an Asian community. Yeah. I mean, I was the only Filipino. Yeah. And then the other Asian kids were um, siblings. There were three Vietnamese siblings. Oh, okay. <laughs> so they were... Yeah. yeah. Um, when I, my kindergarten class though, because I had to fast track my French learning mm-hmm. at the age of five, they bused me to a special program where there were other um, immigrant children. And I had a couple of Filipino friends that were also learning, learning French as kindergartners. Yeah. So that was, that was great for the one academic year. And then I guess out of convenience, my parents were like, well, there's a school that's 15 minutes walk away from our house. You're no longer going to that school. You know, took me off the bus and was just like, you're going to walk to school and be a big girl now. (laughs) Um, So um, my exposure to Asian people, very limited before the age of 12. Yeah. Yeah, I, I mean, I think it's always kind of tough anytime you have that sort of cultural displacement um, because you're you really like, even though, you know, ultimately as adults, we kind of learn like what identity really means. But as a kid, um, you know, identity really comes from like what people see you as. Right. And, you know, what you're labeled as. And um, so even though like for myself, like being multiracial, you know, like I love my mom and recognize that I am, you know, part white as well but it's like the world looks at me as a black man so it's like it's hard to it's hard to disassociate from that in the sense of like I consider myself a black man first right even though I am multiracial like that's what I think of um because everything that comes with that is something that I'm dealing with or facing and so anytime you're like in that situation I think when you're especially one of the very few or the only one right in your case of, of being Filipino like it's such a weird circumstance of just like you know dealing with the world and how they decide to to approach you and and everything else so um yeah i mean i I feel like you might have alluded to it but i can see how those things would have created some of those uh situations where you would have wanted to find any way to feel safe in in school and the thing is um from my personal experience, I've always been different. Yeah. I've always not fit in. Like even in my own family, I was the quirky one. I was the weird yeah. one, right? So it that sort of feeling really tends to color your experience. And for me, it was like, how do I get through this? How do I get to the next, um, I guess, chapter, yeah. you know, the next milestone? Like when it... When do I get to be the cool teenager? When do I get to be the, you know, the person that gets to leave and go to college, right. you know, and all those things, right? Yeah. So it was always 
the mindset of there's something else beyond this. You just got to make it there. Yeah. So that's how I got through that whole thing. Yeah. And then instead of being the cool t- teenager, quote unquote, you decided to play TTRPGs and magic. <laughs> <laughs> well, I didn't, I didn't even end up starting that up in high school. Right, I yeah, started yeah. it after high yeah. school. In high school, I was just like, you know, <laughs> head like, down, yeah. <laughs> you know, just head down, survive this. Yeah. College will be a million times better. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and it was, but not in the ways I initially thought it would be. Yeah. You know, um, it wasn't, it wasn't like, you know, I mean, it was definitely cool in the party sort of sense. And, you know, I get invited to things, but. It ended up becoming something more than that for me, Yeah, you know, beyond that goal of I'm going to be the cool kid someday. Yeah. That's awesome. So um, how did you end up getting introduced to that stuff, to the to the tabletop RPGs and, and magic? Um, the simple answer is I wanted to learn these things okay. to impress a cute guy. Nice, yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, they were... Different cute guys, yeah. but like I got into D and D because you know the cute guy was holding a D and D three point five rule book. Yeah. I was like, "Hey, this is cool. I want to try it." And then I heard that, and I'm like, "Hey, you need another person." <laughs> yeah. And we were just at the like student center, you know, lounge, and people were looking at these books, and I was like, "Oh, hey, there's like one, two, three cute guys, and then there's me. I like these odds." Um, So that's how I learned how to play. That's why that's what motivated me to learn D&D was to kind of have this built in like social thing to connect to other people. You know, I was very much trying to leverage what might be considered dorky or geeky or nerdy Mm -hmm. to make connections with people that I felt were more like me as opposed to focusing on becoming someone cool, (laughs) which, you know, at the end of the day, I kind of just was like, (laughs) what is cool even? I'm just going to have fun with (laughs) games that are like happening in the student lounge. Like, you know, hey, what's up? There are people here and they don't care if you're cool or not. Yeah. They're playing elves and dwarves. (laughs) (laughs) So that was, that was my introduction to D&D. There was a lot of math. Mm-hmm. I was like, um, I don't know if I'm going to stick with this, but I'm going to hang out with you guys. Yeah. And then um, Magic the Gathering was another another big like entry point into, um, I guess, recognizing my nerddom. Yeah. You know, recognizing that I was already a nerd. Yeah. And again, I was like, hey, there's some cute guys at this table playing this game. There's one, two, three, four of them, and one of me. Okay, I can make this work. And I ended up meeting some of the coolest dudes playing that game. That's awesome. Like, the the campus had this Magic the Gathering Club that held events, did, you know, drafts, tournaments, and things just, you know, for fun. And one of my best friends came out of, you know, me just being like, hey, I want to try this game. Yeah. Um, and, um, you know, now he's playing magic on Twitch and, you know, teaching me how to improve my game like years later. So, you know, it was a kind of lasting friendship builder there too. And, you know, it's just, it's just funny when you stop thinking about surviving or being cool, Mm -hmm. you know, it just, 
opens the whole world up to you. Yeah. Yeah. I definitely remember that point in my life when it was like, I really just was like, I'm done trying to please other people or trying to fit into this group or whatever. And I'm just really going to enjoy what I enjoy. And even though that wasn't like a perfect transition, it was still very much like um, such an eye-opening thing. You know what I mean? And and it was so cool to just kind of have that moment of like, all right, yeah, I'm going to pursue being happy for me and not try to just join whatever is going on over here because that's what other people think would be a good thing. Um, yeah. And it didn't really, it was, like you said, it was, it wasn't, you know, a perfect transition and, you know, I still struggled with a lot of things internally about myself, Mm -hmm. but the cool thing about that is it kind of lifted weight off my shoulders. So while I was trying to figure myself out internally, it didn't feel so heavy, Yeah, you know, like sort of untangling all this mess, all of the baggage from the past. It didn't feel so heavy when I gave myself permission to stop worrying about what other people were thinking. Yeah. And I, yeah, I mean, I definitely think that, you know, it is a healing thing to just kind of like, okay, yeah, I'm going, you know, I'm going down this road now. Um, Because I think once you start to feel that, um, much like when people start to play tabletop RPGs, it's like once you're in, you're like, oh, okay, yeah, this is a good feeling. Like something clicks and it's just like, why haven't I done this yeah, before yeah, yeah. or something like that? Yeah. Yeah. And there was something else that happened that year that really, um, that really was a game changer for me. I uh, joined an acapella choir. Oh, sweet. And I, 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 I did that for a year just because I, you know, I needed to find a musical outlet yeah. for for something you know like I played the clarinet which was another nerdy Mm. thing that Mm. I did in high school (laughs) that was like my main my main identifying piece of being a nerd in high school was the clarinet (laughs) um but I I joined this um acapella acapella group um for a year just to try it out i wasn't the best at harmonies or anything but i tried it out and one of the girls from that group um actually started dating my neighbor oh so the there's some housing like it wasn't dorms they were like townhouses right at the edge of our campus so it was considered it was still considered on campus housing but it wasn't dorms Mm -hmm. so there's there's a set of townhouses there they were like in groups of four and then there was a huge parking lot and then there's another group of four townhouses so um i couldn't even tell you how but i just like i befriended my neighbor independently of this other person right uh So I started, I started discovering board games and, you know, I started video games again, really hardcore after not playing them a lot in high school. Um, So I made friends with, you know, my one best friend, Xander, Mm -hmm. and then I made friends with my other best friend doing acapella, uh, Melissa. Mm -hmm. Okay. At some point, me being oblivious, (laughs) it turned out that they started dating each other. Nice. (laughs) So, you know, meeting the two of them was like a huge game changer for me, too, because they are my best friends, the people I have known the longest. Like, I've known them for a decade and a half. Like, 
I knew their beginnings of their relationship. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. well, I mean, I didn't know. I was oblivious. But, <laughs> but you were around. Eventually, I found yeah. out. And it was like this really cool thing. And, you know, um, what Xander specifically kind of taught me was how much I love to play board games yeah. socially. Because mm-hmm. then I, what started to happen on a weekly basis is that we'd all hang out at you know, his townhouse and, you know, play board games together, yeah. which was this cool thing because he he had a extensive, like, really fancy, like, complicated Euro board games collection oh, wow. of games I had never heard before, but they're, like, super strategic and worker placement stuff. Yeah. And, you know, like, Ticket to Ride was a big thing <laughs> for us, yeah. you know? Like, so I got introduced to yet another kind of nerddom yeah. through my friend Xander. So that was kind of the the second, well, no, the third kind of key um, event in my freshman year of college that essentially helped me kind of hone in on my nerd identity and like really define what my nerddoms were at the foundational core. Yeah. So essentially it's like the three, my three pillars of nerddom. <laughs> you have the TTRPGs, you have the Magic the Gathering, and you have board yeah. games. That's awesome. So that is kind of the way I now view my nerddom. I have a deeper understanding of it and I have <laughs> the silliest stories of how I came about it as an adult. <laughs> yeah. Do you, um, in terms of like those early D&D games, like do you remember what that was like, you know, getting into it and, um, uh, you know, what really hooked you about the game? It was really, really weird because I was introduced to a D&D book called Oriental Adventures, mm. which, you know, yeah. <laughs> in retrospect, I'm, I know how problematic those things are now. You know, but at the time I was like, okay, this is cool. I'm going to take a look at this, you know, and I rolled up a, I rolled up a ninja just to try it. I didn't really understand, you know, the problematic aspects of it. And I didn't really play for that long. I played maybe two or three sessions before, you know, schedules just didn't work out and you know, the group disbanded. But I think what really got me was having someone say, you can be anyone you want to be. It doesn't matter. You know, just be who you want to be. And I think that, you know, we can discuss all of the problematic things with all of the problematic content, but... At the core, I believe that TTRPGs should be about being who you want to be. It's choosing in a way that you can't necessarily choose in real life. Mm -hmm. You know, it may not be safe for you to be who you are. Or, you know, there may be a myriad of reasons you cannot be who you are in real life. But I believe that through gaming, it's a place where everyone should be able to have that power to be the person that they want to be, they wish they could be, you know? I think it's not necessarily 
I feel like for me personally, like TTRPGs in a lot of ways are uh, wish fulfillment, yeah. <laughs> wish fulfillment games. Yeah. And, um, you know, and whether it's something like the game Alice is Missing, where it's a very intense, um, really intense experience where it's very emotional and very, very hard material to play, you know, there's still a level of catharsis and wish fulfillment around it for me anyway. Yeah. You know, that game is about friends coming together to find a missing friend of theirs, right? So, you know, in the pandemic, that game in particular has helped me feel that sense of rallying around someone, you yeah. know, that feeling of community with strangers, with friends. So for me, that's what TTRPGs are. Yeah. They, it's wish fulfillment. It's feeling something that you, you don't normally get to feel or that you haven't felt in a long time. So that's what that is. Yeah, I think it, there's definitely that, you know, the ability to tap into something, um, you know, that's kind of set deeper maybe or, or just something else about yourself that you don't normally get to express um, that you can now through role play, right? Because similarly to like, I've talked to quite a few people who um, are either introverts um, or maybe just socially awkward or whatever it is who love cosplay because it's like they get to wear this mask, right? And they get to have this, um, to be this different person completely, right? And it's that same thing that we do at the table when we're playing these games is like, all right, I'm embodying this character now. Like, yeah, my friends can see me or whatever, or these strangers, but this, the person that they're going to interact with more than anything else at the table is my character. And I mean, that's such a cool thing to be able to do and, and to bring those experiences and to have the ability to give people emotions over something that's completely make-believe, you know what I mean? To, to really just add to that, like, it's such a awesome feeling and, and experience that is you know central to TTRPGs. Yeah, and TTRPGs are a game of choices. Yeah. So, you know, if you look at a set of choices put in front of you by the person running the game or, you know, the game itself, if it's a GM-less game, mm -hmm. and you look at it, you know, you can go with your gut or you can, you know, if you're playing a character that's not like yourself. Yeah you can make choices in a safe environment that isn't like the choices you would make in real life. Yeah. And that's okay because you can explore the consequences of that and learn from it mm -hmm. in a way that you can't in your actual life. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's, it's such a, such a cool thing. So you, you said that you only got to play like three sessions with that group. When was it that you picked up TTRPGs again after that? The timelines are all kind of blurry yeah. to me right, right now, but it wasn't until several weeks later when okay. I started playing Magic the Gathering at my local game shop. Mm -hmm. So I started doing not like serious events, but like pre-releases and um, Friday Night Magic, you know, yeah, just yeah. 
to get out of, to get off campus and to meet more people. Yeah. Cause that was essentially my goal. I just wanted to meet people and have fun. So, um, what they were doing at the time was something called Pathfinder Society. Ah. It was their organized play for the first edition of Pathfinder. Mm -hmm. So I was like, it looks like a bunch of numbers, looks very similar to D&D 3.5. Sure, I'll try it out. And I started to play every Wednesday, you know, just to, um, you know, get more role-playing in. And um, the regulars there were... Um, pretty cool. I even started to play um, with one group, um, one group that formed out of that community. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> we played a pirate campaign. It was an adventure that Paizo had, you know, their adventure paths. Yeah. And I played that for a while, you know, until... <laughs> Until someone that I hadn't seen for for a while joined the group, you know. Remember when I told you earlier yeah. in the story that I was I was learning D anD D to intru- mm-hmm. to impress a cute guy. Yeah. The cute guy joined the group, and he turned out to be really obnoxious. Uh. Hated him, <laughs> and I. <laughs> The guy who was hosting us for this pirate campaign was the sweetest guy. He was actually like the super coolest dude. So that night, he sensed that I was getting a little bit frustrated yeah. with, you know, this guy's shenanigans, right? So he's like, um, hey, I've got some stuff in the kitchen, you know, if you want to get a drink or whatever. Um, I was like, okay, sure. And then he followed me into the kitchen and he's like, here. And then he pulls out a bottle from his liquor case. He's like, here you go. It looks like you could use this. <laughs> and it was a bottle of vodka. Yes. I took the orange soda that he had that I had helped myself to. And I was like, this was the first time I had done um, orange soda and vodka. <laughs> and let me tell you, it was not the last time. Yeah. Um, so I was like, hello, vodka. <laughs> so that night I drank a bit of vodka. I played my bard pirate captain, and then I said, you know what? I am done with this bullshit. Y'all are stupid. (laughs) Like, I get that people want to do their thing, right? Yeah. But it's like, (laughs) I want to, you know, figure out what's next. I'm a very, like, goal-oriented player. If there is something that has to be done, we need to do it. You know, that's just how I am. So, so that became a, you know, very clashing problem in this group. And I was just like, y'all are done. I'm going to go. I walked out of the house and just instead of waiting for the carpool or, you know, doing any of that, I just walked home for like 30 minutes. I was just like, y'all are just, I'm done with this entire thing. So, you know, that was... Probably like the that was the first instance of me being like I'm done with people's crap. Yeah. And the only instance of it so far that's happened like in person. Mm-hmm. Um so that was that was an interesting time. That's when I picked up TTRPGs again. Yeah. That's also around the time I started um LARPing. So okay. I I I reached a whole new level yeah. of nerd yeah. when I the highest level, some might say. I mean, I'm proud of it. I miss I miss putting on elf ears and hanging out in the forest yeah. and being like, I don't care what's happening. 
but also I'm afraid for my life. You know, <laughs> yeah. like that that full immersion, I'm an elk for the weekend mm-hmm. sort of feeling, right? But um so that that was the summer that was the summer after my freshman year of college where I went like full nerd. Yeah. <laughs> and I started LARPing. I picked up the prosthetic ears and learned which kinds of spirit gum wouldn't irritate my ears you know that sort of deal i i learned how to make foam buffer weapons which is great nice i yeah i i yeah i would say that definitely 18 19 that's when i like fully embraced being a nerd yeah that's awesome when did like have you ran games before as well like Um, dm or gm i'm pretty terrible at you know planning like the dnd dnd um sort of combat encounters you know i don't have the mind for necessarily balancing encounters and i'm always like super terrified i might kill someone by accident even though i didn't mean to you know so (laughs) i've always been super intimidated by it unless it was part of like a pre-written adventure you know so i mean i've done um D and D Adventurers League. Okay. Was one, I I've run a few things of Adventurers League um, on and off. Yeah. You know, things of that nature. Yeah. Um, but I've not tried the homebrew to, home homebrew thing because I'm I'm too terrified I might kill a player by accident or something. <laughs> I'm definitely some people are just better suited to be players. Yeah, I, I mean I could see that for sure. I think I think it's something that's good for everyone to try, just because. I think it gives you a good respect for both sides of it. You know what I mean? Because I know for sure, like players get frustrated with DMs over like holding them to rules or different things, or, um, you know, you start to understand like how easily you can just completely destroy whatever the DM has prepped for and how much stress it is to like improv that. And you know what I mean? And get things onto some kind of semblance of a storyline track. So, um, I think it's good for everyone to, to give both things a try, but for sure, like, you know, do what's going to make you happy. Cause that's, that's what the games are all about. I think that, I think that DMing for me, like I will do it with something pre-written in front of me that I can then like just modify on the fly and like having things to reference to, I think it's just easier on yeah, my brain. Yeah. And, um, I think it's just better for me that way. So I'm not completely shutting the door on being a DM, but, you know, particularly games like D&D or Pathfinder, yeah. it's a little more involved than what my brain can handle. Yeah. That being said, I love games that focus more on narrative control, mm-hmm. you know, like the passing back and forth of narrative control, yeah. such as the kids on bikes and other spin-off systems yeah. based on kids on bikes. That is currently the thing that I'm running for my friends and it is my favorite thing in the world to run because it's the die rolls are not to determine the outcome, mm-hmm. but they are to determine who has narrative control. Yeah. So for instance, you you know, you have one character who is um, trying to discern another character's motivations and they roll a check against each other. Okay. Mm-hmm. So the person who wins this check gets to, you know, build the narrative and say, oh, yeah, they, this is how I kind of feel out the situation. And I'm like, oh, yeah. So, you know, I noticed this person was feeling a certain way. Yeah. 
or or you know the group is trying to distract a nurse who's keeping them from sneaking off to visit an injured friend so um you know they win the check they you know they can decide how this works out for them mm-hmm. how the group succeeds and if the nurse had won i would have then decided how the group failed yeah but you know like it's it's a more of a back and forth and a collaboration i feel like a lot of TTRPGs that have a combat aspect or like a more of a war games like a they have that background from like tabletop yeah, early mi- yeah. war miniatures you know like that sort of that sort of combat that sort of combat for me feels a little bit like the DM against the players very antagonistic mm-hmm. and you know there are some people who handle it with a lot of grace and a lot of consideration for the players but there are others who you know <laughs> make it very antagonistic yeah. and you know it really just depends on the group you're with and sometimes it's hard to take yeah for sure i think you know in terms of like getting new people into the game i think that's one of the difficult things is because it's like okay you know you know join a discord find a group to play with but there's still so much like i still don't know who these people are so you know whether or not they're going to actually like take your emotional safety seriously or whether or not they're actually going to like you know um treat some of that stuff delicately or not or if they're just going to barrage you with a bunch of things that you're not prepared for it's kind of unless you have that conversation early on it's very much a crapshoot so and that's the thing, right? Like, even five or six years ago, yeah. safety, emotional safety, you know, personal safety was not a conversation that was yeah. had. And I went into these in-person situations blind into the community, which, yeah. you know, I guess in my 20s, I had no sense of fear trying to (laughs) trying to make friends like i just would be friends with everyone which may or may not have been super healthy for me but um that was its own kind of problem and i had my struggles trying to find people that were more of a fit for me yeah and it wasn't until recently when i really started to learn about the conversation behind player consent and safety that i realized that it doesn't have to be you know like a blind jump you can set boundaries at the beginning and then if it doesn't work you can walk away (laughs) which is something that i didn't really realize could be done until the language for it was set in the community and people started talking about it and creating these tools and you know um coming up with things like the TTRPG safety toolkit, you know, shout out to Lauren and uh, Kiana who put that thing together. And they, what they did was they put all of these tools together and, you know, they said, here are all of these people who have worked to create ways for the game to be safer. You know, that's what they, that's what they did. And, you know, in realizing that in the last two, three years, I was like, this is a game changer. I don't have to go into situations blind and then get super hurt when things aren't working out. Yeah. <laughs> so that's that's another big discovery for me. Yeah, well, in my journey. For sure. I think there's still a lot of people that have anxiety around that whole thing too. Even now with the, you know, the advent of safety tools, like there's still 
because um, you still have to have those conversations. And if you're not somebody that has a lot of social skills or, you know, if you're not that extrovert or whatever, or you're not, maybe you don't like confrontation. So you don't want to like speak up, you know what I mean? Um, and you don't have somebody else there doing it for you. I think you, it's, there is some difficulty there. So it's good now that as a community, for the most part, right, there seems to be a kind of rallying around this idea. Obviously, there's still a bunch of shitheads out there, a bunch of shitheads out there um, that still don't think that that matters. But, um, you know, I think it's it's easier now to find people, um, if you're willing to, you know, put yourself out there on social media and look. And I certainly don't fault anybody who doesn't want to do that. So social media sucks. I mean, it's, it's always going to be hard. Yeah. I'm not going to fault anyone for finding it difficult and being like, nope, yeah. no thanks. I think though, going back to the point you said about people who may not want to speak up about, you know, boundaries and safety and things like that, you know, having a facilitator, a game master, someone in charge to say, this is okay. We are talking about this. You can send all of your concerns here and, you know, no one else will judge you, mm -hmm. you know, yeah. and having that be a way for someone to safely express their boundaries and their feelings yeah. like that is going to help people who want to play, but who are anxious about their safety, yeah. you know, like, I feel like the more it becomes commonplace, I hope, I don't know, but I hope that there will be more responsible game masters who will take this into account and, you know, consider those people who want to play but are too anxious to speak up. Yeah. Yeah, I definitely think it's it's happening a lot more. Um, you know, I've talked about it a lot, but like with the advent of COVID and everybody, you know, putting together their home games and premiering them on a podcast or a stream or whatever, um, the the visible community has grown a lot in the sense that now it's like, okay, there's, you know, tens of thousands of people at the very least that are out here who are talking about games, who are playing games consistently, who are, you know, having conversations who, you know, even if half of them want to DM, that's, you know, four to six people per group or whatever. Like you have the ability now where there's community to join um, and, and be able to feel like these conversations are going to be okay because like I said, most of the people in the community are, are doing it. So um, it's such a cool, cool thing that, uh, that it's happening and, and that it seems to be improving because it, it is important. Um, it's important that there aren't more oriental adventures that come out. You know what I mean? Like, that's <laughs> such an insane No, absolutely. Like, um, absolutely. Yeah. And, you know, I've, I've learned a lot since you know, yeah. my my early days in the TTRPG world. So I fully understand that, you know, and yeah. well, I think too especially listening listening to other Asians, you know, mm -hmm. like, you know, Daniel Daniel Kwan, yeah, yeah. one of my favorite podcasters, man, you know, yeah. Asians represent. And, you know, it's important to learn from other people mm -hmm. outside of yourself. Yeah. And you know, people who bring their own experiences. I find a lot of the time, you know, when you're trying to have <laughs> a nuanced discussion in a giant crowd of all sorts of people that you don't know where the heck anyone's coming from, you're going to end up with 
all sorts of responses. Yeah. So, you know, I think a lot of those responses come from a place of not considering outside perspectives. Right. And that's what makes a lot of the toxic social media. I wouldn't even call it conversations. It's mostly just posts yeah. and yeah. words being thrown everywhere. Right. Yeah. Yelling over each but, other. But, yeah. you know, for me... <laughs> For me personally, I like to make a point of, you know, learning from experiences outside of myself, yeah. you know, from Asians of other, you know, countries, yeah, you know, yeah. like the the Indians, the, you know, Chinese, the Japanese, yeah. you know, like, for me, that all has value. And the way that I relate to the concept of being Asian, because the concept of being Asian is not just one kind of Asian, you know, mm. it, we are not a monolith. Right, yeah. You know, the Vietnamese have their thing. Everyone has their own cultural experiences, their own, like, their own cultures, their own experiences, and, you know, their own perspectives, right? And for me, when it comes to the concept of representation, like, growing up, I didn't really see myself in the media I consumed. Yeah. I, you know, I saw maybe one or two people that looked like me, but I wasn't sure mm -hmm. when I was very young. Yeah. But for me, I saw another Asian, you know, like a Chinese person or, you know, an Indian person or, you know, a Japanese person. I was like, they're Asian too. That's cool. And I've always kind of looked at it as you, you know, what's a win for you know, a Japanese person is a win for, you know, just Asians as a whole in terms of visibility. Yeah. I never, I never saw it specifically like, oh, but where are my Filipino homies at, you know? <laughs> yeah. I mean, you know, Rufio, <laughs> Rufio was really freaking cool back in the yeah, day. Yeah. But, you know, like, so for me, just Asians collectively, like, I always root for everyone because <laughs> that's just who I am. Yeah. So, um. I wasn't even sure where I was going with that thought, but yeah, no, I mean, I, I think it, it's it's totally true, though, and it, you know, it always kind of starts with um, it, macro and kind of works its way down, or vice versa. But there's always something that I think, as humans, as social creatures, we want to find a way to relate to each other. Um, uh, my old job, we used to read a lot of like leadership stuff. And so like Simon uh, Sinek, I think is his last name. I, I could be saying it wrong. But anyway, he talks about that of just like, you know, you would see somebody on the streets of New York and never acknowledge them. You get on an airplane and you go to England and you see that same person from New York and like they have some kind of New York memorabilia and you talk to them and they're American. It's like, oh my God, you're American. Like we're friends now, right? Because we're in a different country. Um, and then it's, Oh, okay. Now we're New Yorkers. Like, oh, okay, yeah, we're we're that much closer. When it's like, really, you know, you're just still you're still strangers any any other time. So, um, but it, it's true that that kind of level of of uh, of I should say representation has levels. Um, I think, and um, and it's important to kind of see those come across. And it's even more important to get down to that micro level too. Now, especially as we are adults or, um, you know, even for myself with my kids, like to, to, to make sure that they have positive figures in their lives and things like that. So, um, you know, it's, it's good that it's happening and, and it's good that there's people out there that are continuing to make it happen. Um, yeah. Go ahead. And circling back to the whole Oriental Adventures yeah. thing, because that's what we were talking about <laughs> representation. My brain just kind of was like, Oh wait, oh, no, that's fine. the point. Yeah. 
but you know nowadays people are people are you know fighting to put their culture forward especially in terms of D&D I will see people tweet about their projects like oh hey this is inspired by you know like Indian um myths and folklore and you know yeah. this is inspired by you know um the Filipino culture right, which yeah. by the way Islands say, yeah. of Sina Una. Yeah, yeah. Gotta shout say, that yeah. out because I, that's, there's something special about the Islands of Sina Una that I don't think I've ever personally witnessed in the TTRPG community in terms of what representation can actually do in that particular space. Yeah. So the Islands of Sina Una um, creator one of them i guess like yeah i, was, <laughs> I forget yeah. what all what they all do yeah. but they're members of the team the creative team behind this product and um anyway so um htt paladin mm-hmm. is like the coolest dude ever and like just the smartest guy one of my favorite content creators and you know he I found out kind of super late game post season one that there was a Cena Una actual play that they did. Okay. They did 10 episodes for their first season. And I was like, this is the coolest thing. I I like this. I don't know anything about like Filipino mythology because that's the one part of my culture that I never really got to explore growing up. Mm -hmm. But I'm like, I'm, it's one of the things that made me want to learn more. Yeah. So when I they started a second season and it ended up being a new campaign with new people, like a, one of the players had to leave the campaign. Someone else came along, but um, yeah. So essentially, this actual play, uh, Tompo, is the first time that I've seen non-Filipino people engage with pieces of Filipino culture. And genuinely, like, are super into it. Like, they are playing this game every week. And they've been playing this game since last year sometime. And they're engaging with the material. And they're learning, you know, pieces of my family's culture. Things that I, I didn't even know about as a diaspora. Someone who has been mostly raised in Canada, you know. Yeah. And it's helping me you know, rediscover some of these stories from my family. But also, I mean, representation is important. Yeah. You know, to see yourself in the culture, in in the media you consume. But at the same time, you know, I had this experience for the first time where non-Filipinos were like, your stories are cool. Your myths are cool. Yeah. We actually enjoy playing in this setting we are you know super into this you know and it comes from it comes from people like critical bard yeah you know critical bard is one of the people i like highly respect in the you know ttrpg community and you know he's really he's really embraced the content and he's like super into it, you know. And Latia Jaquise, who's mm. another streamer, yeah. TTRPG player that I adore with all my heart, you know. Josh Simons, coolest dude on the internet, you know. And he's so nice and so kind. And he's like, yeah, I love this stuff. Yeah. And you know, seeing people who do not look like me genuinely love things from my culture, like that's I don't know, like it's 
it it hits differently, you yeah, know? For sure. Yeah. It's it's not like yes, I would like to see, you know, more people who look like me playing TTRPGs on Twitch or, you know, like I would always enjoy seeing more Filipinos on my TV, yeah. but it's a it hits differently when people you respect and admire who don't look like you are like hey this thing from your culture is really fucking cool yeah yeah i think it, it it is awesome you know there's so much of that stuff like now doing this show has really opened my eyes to a lot of that um you know getting to talk to the folks at mayday and what eli has done with the ashoka stuff and um you know all of that um pacific islander and hawaiian um culture that she has put into it like it's so so cool and then you know connie from transplaner who's giving a multitude of different experiences from her own storytelling um and and they fighting against that like yeah i love connie oh, so much yeah. they are amazing okay. absolutely incredible there's so much diverse content out yeah. there and you know that's the thing right like Everyone's always zeroing in on the idea that, oh, you know, look at all of these white people that are doing this thing. Like, you know, you know, there's a, it's that negative space yeah. that I really feel uncomfortable in because, yes, it's problematic. Yes, there's a representation problem, of course. And I feel that so hard, you know, like yeah. I, I support what people are speaking out against, but at the same time, imagine if half the energy spent speaking out, you know, was spent giving positive energy to the people who are doing amazing things, yeah. you know, like Connie's transplanar rpg or um into the motherlands you yeah, know yeah absolutely. you know projects like that that have their own thing going on you know or even you know critical bards game that he dms uh dungeons and do-rags yeah. you know i gotta shout these people out because as much as we need to address what is problematic in our communities, you know. We also need to push forward the talent. <laughs> we need to keep hyping them up and not just, you know, talking about all of the problems all the time, you yeah. know. And it's not to say, you know, ignore the problems or just be hype all the time. But it's a matter of balance and recognizing, hey, these people are content creators who are creating awesome content. Yeah. You know, and pushing that forward. Because I feel like that often gets lost in the shuffle of everybody kind of throwing out, hey, everything's a problem here and everything's a problem there. And, you know... I think that because social media is so nebulous and strange and lacking in nuance because it's not the platform for nuance, let's face it, no. you know? So we, I feel like what's really lacking 
that can be implemented is a more balanced approach to social media. Yeah. If we can, if it's not necessarily the place for nuance, let's at least bring forward, you know, a more even split of time between, you know, listening to these marginalized creators and also uplifting them and, you know, letting their content rise above the negativity and being like, Hey, they're doing cool shit, you know, consume this cool shit. Yeah. Cause I mean, like for me, I always have this kind of intense anxiety and fear that someone will look at my social media and see that I'm not speaking out enough about any given problem and that, you know, I'm being ignorant or just, you know, ignoring all the bad stuff. So I always, for me, I've conditioned myself to viewing my social media as a consistent balancing act between using my voice to speak out, but also using it to uplift people. Because at the end of the day, for me, what matters is people. Yeah. Yeah, I think it I think it is important. And I know like for myself, even though I don't have like a big following or whatever, like I always try to, you know, any of the stuff that's done by POCs that I've enjoyed, like post about it because um, you're right, there's a lot of people that just don't do it. You know, as much as everybody likes to talk about their diversity and their inclusion and their solidarity and everything else, it's like, you know, I think your actions speak louder than your words. And so much of that goes into what I see online. And so for myself, I don't like to be a negative person. And so I, I very much am just like, if I get to that point where I'm just sick of it, then I just back away. Um, so I'm not like a super active person on Twitter. And I don't like social media anyway. So that's already like an obstacle in itself to even do what I'm doing. Um, I do enjoy getting to meet people, like meeting yourself and and all the folks that I've met has been incredible. That part of it is fun. I enjoy that. Um, but the the rest of it, um, I could honestly just do without, you know. <laughs> there's just like, there's no way to like really have it both ways. Um, so, you know, it is what it is. But, you know, I, I do want to say, you know, in terms of talking about um, – you know, great stuff that POCs are doing. I don't want to leave this conversation without talking about Tales of Exandria, which, um, which you're in. So let's, you know, jump into that. Like, what is it? Who's, you know, uh, who's putting it on that kind of stuff? Okay. So <laughs> as of this recording, we are in the midst of doing the, you know, the safety talks, yeah. the, you know, session zeros and, you know, doing all of the background work in order to really safely um, put this thing together yeah. and consider all of the, um, you know, all of the players and the DM, um, keeping everyone in mind and making sure that it's a healthy collaborative space. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so Tales of Exandria is essentially something that was born out of me wanting to play D&D in Matthew Mercer's sandbox. Nice. And then, you know, building a castle in a sandbox and then going stompy, 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 I'm going to do what I want. Yeah. <laughs> That's essentially what Tales of Exandria is intended to be. Okay. Now, in terms of, you know, how the group came together, 
um, it started with a couple of friends of mine that I had in mind that I hadn't played D&D with in quite some time, mm-hmm. at least three or four years. Okay. And I reached out to my friend Adam, who um, in the early days of the Critical Role fandom was someone that um, I became friends with when they randomly said they wanted to learn D&D for the first time. And I said, I love D&D. I'll help you learn 5th edition. Yeah. So, you know, Adam and I have, been, have known each other since 2016, okay. something like that. So I was like, well, if I'm going to, if I'm going to start this, he was in the original group that I had for Tales of Alexandria when I tried to be the DM. Okay. That didn't end up working after three or four sessions because of scheduling. And one person was just like, I don't know if my, you know, my, I'm having a mental health situation. Yeah. And I was like, you know what? It's perfectly okay. Like, go take care of you. So we, you know, uh, we all agreed that we were just going to disband a group anyway because it wasn't working out. Yeah. And, you know, I hope that, you know, things are going well on that regard. But, yeah. So um, that was last year sometime. Okay. I don't remember. I think it was, like, early 2021 that I tried to run d and um, for that group. But out of that group, I reached out to Adam and was like, you know, hey, you want to you wanna try this thing again? And he's like, yeah, do I have to make a new character? I was like, eh, probably not. <laughs> we didn't really get to do anything with your character last time. It was like, yeah, cool, I'm in. Yeah. And then the other person that I reached out to was Kai. Um, Kai and I have a similar longstanding history, but for a different reason. Um, he and I, um, back when Project Alpha was a thing, it's a Geek and Sundry's old streaming service, yeah. they had a bunch of like super cool nerd content there. And we both watched a um, TTRPG actual, actual play called Vast. You know, shout out Jackson Lansing. <laughs> you know, I, I miss that show. Um, and um, Jackson Lansing is a brilliant comics writer and just an amazing storyteller. Um, so he and I bonded over that show before it got canceled and then Project Alpha shut down. So we were friends since 2016 as well, I believe, um, 2017 around that time. And we had actually played in Exandria as well um, with a group. Uh, we were both players at the time, like three or four years ago. So um, what I told him was, hey, remember those characters that we played from that one campaign? It's like, yeah. I was like, how do you feel about bringing them back? <laughs> it was like, hell yeah, I want to bring PJ back. And I'm like, yeah, we're going to be self-indulgent. We're going to play these characters that are children of the, you know, characters from the first campaign. And we're just going to have so much fun being dorks on the Internet. And, you know, Kai was super all in. He's like, yeah, I'm going to have to stay up super late to play, but I don't sleep. And I was like, you're a grown ass man. I'm not going to tell you to go to bed anymore. I'm just going to take advantage of the fact that you don't sleep and play D&D with you. Yeah. And then from there, I just kind of was like, hey, who wants to do this thing with me? And then other people started um, chiming in, like um, Farinox, who is a um, variety streamer on Twitch, who also plays CTRPGs, 
I found them on Twitter, kind of just really randomly. (laughs) But, you know, in the few short weeks that I've gotten to know them, I'm like, where have you been all my life? Why are we not, like, why haven't we been best friends forever? (laughs) Um, And Kristen, who is absolutely lovely, um, I kind of ran into her through Mermaid Royal, you know, Jude's community, uh, Death to Divinity. So that that's where our paths kind of intersected. Um, You know, that's the thing that we have in common. And, you know, she is absolutely lovely. And then recently, I kind of just locked that last piece of the puzzle due to some unpleasant communication issues and other drama related things um but we recently met with uh vj who is our uh dungeon master who is absolutely the most amazing energy and i love them and i can't wait for them to lead us into exandria and just have the best time yeah and it took a long time for me to find the right people, mm-hmm. but in the last two, three weeks, I'm really starting to feel like I've got a great group. And yeah. moving forward, I feel like it's going to be like the best fun time just hanging out and telling stories. And, you know, incidentally, kind of not intentionally, but really, um, you know, interestingly, like I am the only member of the group who is um, not somehow on the LGBTQ (laughs) plus um, in that community. So, you know, I... So it's like, it's this interesting kind of like, I didn't do, I didn't intentionally do it by design, but it's kind of just like, hey, I kind of like this. Yeah. Although in the future, I will kind of just work on more intentional casting. Mm-hmm. But at the time I was like, I just want to play with my friends and I want to see where this goes. Yeah. And, you know, I wanted... I wanted the Bardic Inspiration Network to inspire. That was kind of why I went with the name. I wanted to inspire people to be kind. I wanted to inspire people to be more accepting and more inclusive. So, you know, I'm just like, these are my friends. These are my friends with diverse experiences and they're nothing like me, but I love them. You know, here they are. And I wanted that to be the foundation of... I wanted it to be the foundation of a community that's going to last, you know? Yeah. Because fandoms are fickle. (laughs) You know, TV shows get canceled. Things that, you know, people get mad about things, you know, toxicity flying from left and right. Yeah. You know, sometimes even the best fandoms just kind of disappear when the thing that you're a fan of is no longer a thing. Um but I wanted to build something that was more than just a fandom. I wanted it to be a community that would last. Yeah. So I looked at what I wanted to do and was like, what is the one thing that would last? What are the ideas that I wanted to communicate to the world through this community that I'm building? And I was like, it doesn't matter what game we're playing. It doesn't matter who the people are on screen, you know? What matters is, you know, building the community around the values that I wanted 
people to see in, you know, my streams yeah. and in the community itself. And I wanted to carry forward the same energy, the same inclusivity that I was a part of three years ago Yeah. in this fandom, in this fandom that, you know, the show no longer exists. But, you know, I, I missed the energy. It was one of those things where it was like the tiniest fandom. We were small, but we were mighty. And it was the only fandom that I had ever been a part of where it was genuinely wholesome. Yeah. I never once felt any sort of toxicity. I mean, you know, nobody cries over bad stuff. There was one time I made people cry. But um, <laughs> that was because I did a nice thing and not because yeah. I was being mean. Yeah. Although, you know, it might have been mean to make them cry on screen. But, <laughs> um, <laughs> um, so, you know, I wanted, I wanted to play more TTRPGs. I wanted to stream it. I wanted to play with my friends. I wanted to build a community that would last. Um, so those are kind of my motivations behind everything really yeah and there's a lot of different things i want to do with it like i would love to cast you know filipino diaspora people like me who have maybe been a little more removed from the philippines than you know maybe i want to play some you know a sinauna based game with them or you know just play with a variety of different people um, at the end of the day. But Tales of Alexandria was really just me asking my friends, hey, what's up? Let's (laughs) play. Which is not your typical casting situation. But as a first-time actual play producer, I was just kind of winging it the entire time. Well, I think think there's a lot to be said for playing with people that you love and, and having that kind of friend energy at the table like it's not something that you can just easily replicate with you know a cast of of whoever and i you know there's plenty of shows that do a great job of you know strangers coming together and finding chemistry but i think there's also something to be said about um you know playing with people that you really really enjoy and have enjoyed for a while now so um by the time that this show airs uh you guys will have already started um but definitely you know pay attention to and stuff and keep an eye out for that stream so that we we can um everybody can can watch it um yeah no i think the one blessing out of all of the delays that we've had to deal with is that we've had time to bond as a group i have been getting them to meet regularly and you know plan things out and you know continue to build upon the concepts of safety and you know collaboration that i've always wanted to have so as the pieces are falling together you know i think it's been a bit of a blessing to have been delayed as long as we have been delayed because i feel like even the people that i've pulled in that are not as familiar to me we've all become really good friends as a result now of the two months that we've been preparing so far. So it's, it's a blessing to me and they are a blessing to me. So that's awesome. Hopefully when this episode comes out, you know, y'all will have had a chance to check us out once or twice. Yeah, definitely. And I think that's a good, a good place to end it, but uh, this has been a lot of fun. I'm so glad that you came on and, and that you, you know, responded when I reached I out to you. I can't stop smiling. <laughs> 
I can't stop smiling. That's awesome. I feel like I was a little rambly in some places, hey, but this is great. You're fine. Yeah, no worries. Um, you know, the- now everyone's going to know my nerd origin story. <laughs> That's good. That's what it's all about, right? <laughs> Representation matters. <laughs> um, well, very cool. Well, thank you so much for coming on. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you so much for listening. I hope you enjoyed the show. If you would like to reach out to us, check out the many options on the Anchor app or anchor.fm on your browser. You can also reach us at secretnerdpodcast at gmail.com. Make sure to subscribe to the show, and if you'd like, leave a review to help us grow this thing. 